I can't think of any area that that does not apply to, where diversity does not create a stronger outcome because you're melding all these different viewpoints and allowing people to really bring their whole selves, their multiple identities to it is, well, I can't think of anything more important, really. Welcome. I am so excited to have our next guest here with you, especially during Women's History Month, because she is an amazing woman who is making history. Jothi Sarda is a major studio and blue chip brand senior level global marketing executive turned producer, filmmaker and entrepreneur. Through her company, Nimble Media LLC, she is shifting the narrative about women and their individual and collective impact by telling real stories through projects like her award-winning docuseries, And She Could Be Next. This is now currently available on Amazon Prime, and she is here, ladies and gentlemen, with her to share her powerful work and how we could move forward individually and together. Welcome to the show, Miss Jothi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I just gave a small background of who you were and what you've done, but could you fill in the gaps and just tell our platform who you are and what your passions are? Sure. Well, you know, I uh, started my career uh, as in advertising uh, back in the day, and I sort of progressed through a series of agencies um, until I achieved, uh, you know, I was a senior executive at a you know, well-known advertising agency. And I basically could see that uh, the industry was shifting and that my role within it was likely to shift. So I started to plot what my next move would be. Um, And that involved actually going back and getting my MBA. And then I shifted, by the way, this wasn't that simple, but I did shift into entertainment. And I joined uh, 20th Century Fox. I ran the TV on DVD business there. Uh, then I shifted over into international and I worked on really high profile projects there like Avatar. Uh, and then I tried my hand at um, my own firm, my own consulting firm, and then pivoted from that into a job at Paramount Pictures. Did that for a while, a lot of international marketing, working with um, the partners that uh, Paramount had at the time. And then again, I started to see there were lots of changes happening in distribution and um, in in that field. And I was trying to project what my role in that would be and felt like there were things that were missing from my skill set. And so I decided, and this was kind of a pivotal point, to leave my perfectly good job at a really nice place to work and uh, join a streaming startup. And the thought that I would gain some skills that I needed so that when uh, that streaming uh, you know, revolution happened, which it's already happened, that I would be better prepared to sort of meet those circumstances. And the bottom line is that that shift didn't actually work out so well, that startup didn't get a round of funding that it needed. And um, in the space where I was trying to evaluate what my options were, I decided that I would start working on a documentary project. I had already helped a friend with her own documentary and I had worked with documentaries in my past, you know, working at Paramount. So it wasn't like I was brand new to the field, but I was certainly brand new as a filmmaker. And so I ended up on this journey of becoming a producer of 
documentary and narrative content. And that's where I am today. My job here is to highlight to our audience and basically to the world what great intercultural creativity looks like and what creative <laughs> thinking looks like as you talk about your story, you talk about your projects. And one thing I want to really highlight is your ability to foresee, forecast. And our definition here isn't, you know, creativity does involve the arts. And I do believe in a strong artistic background. I believe everyone should have access to an artistic training. But our definition of creativity is the process of problem finding and problem solving with value, relevance, and novelty. And so when you're speaking, I'm like, wow, she is observant. She is sensing shifts. She's looking and making connections and trying to forecast and, and see where things are going. And that is definitely an element of a highly creative thinker. So I just wanted to highlight that about your ability to, even if things don't work out, like the whole streaming thing, right. you were right about this, the streaming thing, but because of circumstances with the funding, yours didn't go off. Other things went, went off in that area, but still that ability to have forethought is wonderful. And so when you were shifting, like how did you really just continue to land on your feet and keep moving? A lot of people sometimes just have a hard time taking the energy to shift and to move and to pivot. What really helped you make those jumps? You know, it's an interesting uh, process and I've gotten, I've become better at it as I've had to pivot more than once. But by the way, I just want to back up and say, I totally agree with you about um, your definition of creativity. And the truth of the matter is that that problem finding actually works for people in business, as well as, you know, people who define themselves as purely creative. It's just the mode of expression, really, that I think changes. So um, I was just thinking about it. I'm actually here um, in Utah. It's not where I live, but I happen to be here and and you know so it's a, a skiing a place where people ski and one of the analogies you might hear from if any of you do that is that the idea is to maintain forward momentum and to lean down the hill right and the more you keep turning the more imbalance you actually are and the less work you have to do it's the starting and stopping that actually uh, causes the most difficulty and this is a tough one to learn i might add because i'm not like a great skier by any means but i think it totally works in terms of you know plotting your own career or your your path i mean all of us notice when shifts are happening in our industry it's not like I'm um, particularly prescient. You notice when there are rounds of layoffs happening at your company, or you notice when all of a sudden, you know, your sales are ebbing and flowing, or, you know, like, look, in the middle of this pandemic, I am sure all of us have noticed that there are major shifts happening and, and could even probably predict, predict what might be coming out of, you know, when people exit this pandemic. I mean, look, there's lots of ways we've changed our behaviors. It's quite likely that those changes are likely to continue, if not accelerate, right? So um, what I've tried to do is just pay attention and kind of lean into the changes that I've seen. I think that might be the best way I could describe it. And I wasn't always good at it, but I realized after the first time I changed careers that that was a process that was necessary. And, um, you know, and, and I planned for my transitions a little bit as I've gone along, knowing that um, at any minute, I might need to really be resourceful 
and think about what my next move would be. And while I've never really been fired per se, um, I think that being proactive about how your industry is shifting is super important mm -hmm. to maintaining your own health and your own growth. For me, I believe that in the end, it'll all work out. You may not have the clear picture of what it looks like, but as long as you keep moving forward and you look at those skills, and that's why it's so important to kind of build these resiliency, regeneration skills in our youth younger, so they're able to do this more seamlessly when they get into the workforce, right? And another thing that made me think when you were telling your background story is your work at Paramount and the intercultural and the international work that you've, you've done. How did you see yourself really be able to connect and create with people from around the world? Were some of your partners just in different areas around the world? And what did that look like? Yeah, you know, so uh, the way it worked is there were different teams in um, different, you know, parts of the world, as you just said, and their job was to sort of market or push out Paramount movies uh, in their particular region. And then mm -hmm. I was a home office, uh, you know, marketing lead, and uh, I sort of oversaw whatever those global efforts are. Um, generally, we had a movie like a DreamWorks title, a Marvel title, something coming out that uh, required that kind of uh, thinking. Uh, we were definitely in a process of understanding how the themes of any given uh, title might play out globally. And we would um, obviously be in frequent conversation. And I think probably the only thing I would say about that is, um, so there was a very much a, a process that we were all involved with, but it was a give and take to understand, you know, those who were on the ground be it um, in the UK or um, different parts of Europe or Australia or Japan, there's really very different cultures there. And to really hear what those teams had to share with you about, uh, you know, uh, any given theme or title so that we could work together on how to address the core strategy, you know, the global strategy of that particular title or of the franchise, but then also tailor it for what that particular market or that particular audience um, is needed. And that's, you know, for anybody who's involved with marketing, that's kind of one of those things that, you know, is part of your description anyway, but that is definitely something that was, it was really interesting and um, fun to do as well. So would a movie be called one thing here, but you would, the same movie would be called something completely different in a different country? Sometimes different. I mean, sometimes words have different connotations in different languages, right? This is true. Or, um, you know, this is not a Paramount movie, but I, I also worked internationally at Fox. For example, Tooth Fairy. Uh, the, the whole um, idea of a Tooth Fairy is really different around the world. So you, you definitely had to, you know, work with those different um, issues or sometimes, um, yeah, you, you might have to change the the title, you might have to tweak the artwork a little bit to just really convey the idea of the movie. And that is also true when you're um, distributing it in theaters, as well as on um, home entertainment, which is generally either it was DVD and then later it became, you know, digital downloads and, and streaming. And streaming. Yes, I heard a funny story about a car company that wanted to the name the car N-O-V-A like the Nova, but in Spanish, Nova means 
it won't go. <laughs> <laughs> no so, that's a perfect, yeah. that's a, like a perfect uh, description of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about intercultural creativity, of course, I don't mean just ethnic cultures or national cultures, but just the cultures, the diamond, right. The diamond di- diversity concept of how we're just different facets and we all have different cultures and different identities and different ways that we see the world and just looking at it from that aspect. But Moving on to your work, can you explain about the big project you're working on? And it is Women's History Month right now while we're doing this filming, and we're also going to be be launching it during this month. So what is your project about and how do you think it's going to move the movement forward? Well, I have two projects, uh, one that is complete and one that I'm working with a team to develop. Um, the one that is complete is a documentary series called And She Could Be Next. That's what I ended up working on right after I pivoted out of that um, streaming startup. It was an idea I had, um, you know, looking at the idea that um, we might, at the time, I thought we were on track to elect our first woman president. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out, but I was really very interested in the system that made it difficult for women Uh, to be elected to office and why was that? And so I thought a documentary that sort of like revealed those themes would be interesting to other people and certainly of interest to me. Um, And as we, I I worked with uh, two partners who were established documentary filmmakers because that was certainly not a core expertise of mine. I just had the vision for the you know, the idea of the story. And, um, you know, what we realized is we were really moving into a very fast moving um, political um, scenario, which I don't think anybody quite knew in 2016, but we soon figured that out afterwards. And um, the three of us were women of color. And so we felt as we thought about politics that the best analysis of that situation was going to come through the lens of race and gender. So we followed uh, six really amazing women of color candidates across the country in the 2018 election cycle, one of whom was Stacey Abrams, who's become quite well known to many by now. Um, Another one was Rashida Tlaib, who's now famously a member of the squad. So these are all women who were just emerging during that time. And what made them interesting to us, um, as well as these organizers who help really make their campaigns work is the way they were so authentically themselves, how they were so inclusive in the way they were approaching running for office in the sense that all of these women who we followed um, were very interested in bringing more people um, into the electorate, more people to the polls and to bring them together to kind of, if you will, build really coalitions and to help communities who had maybe not felt like they were seen or heard before, um, achieve that kind of internal power by vocalizing their choice. So I found it, and many of us found it really um, thrilling, not just on a political level, but because of, you know, there were so many themes there that really ripple out to just the way we, as women of color, live our lives and we show up in society. So that film or that documentary series came out Um, in June of 2020 uh, on POV as a two-part series. And then what we've been doing since is really screenings and discussions to kind of just 
you know, meet the need of, of all the populations out there, the people who view it and they just find the need to talk about it more and to really think about their own role um, with regards to the political process. Oh, that's amazing. Have you heard of the organization She Can Run? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, yes. I signed I up know, for them. There's so many great organizations mm-hmm. that um, really promote and train women to run for office. And, um, you know, the thing that I found really, I learned so much from the organizers who we covered and especially the organizers and Georgia, Georgia really, you know, sort of came to the forefront of the political process and many people were sort of astonished to see the uh, results there. These women really look at elections as an inflection point. They are working day in and day out to kind of build community power and again, I felt that there was a lot that you could translate in their philosophy into other walks of life, into the boardroom, into creative industries, whatever the case may be, where people are trying to build collective power. So anyway, I hope uh, if any of your viewers are interested, it's actually streaming this month on Amazon Prime for free. Um, it's always streaming, but Sometimes you have to pay for it. Uh, So anyway, now through the end of Women's History Month, that would be, you know, if you're interested, it's there. That's why we have to get this episode out ASAP. (laughs) I love the concept of the collective power of really making it aware that collectively, because, you know, with some of the stereotypes and like the word hysteria and just how women are kind of seen as pitted against just the act, the the point of the collectiveness, you know, this collective voice, that's wonderful to to hear. I think that's a really excellent point that you underscore. And in fact, um, you know, I think that's true, not just of women, but of various, you know, let's call them marginalized communities where uh, there's a very active role that others have in pitting them against each other. And there's real power when we are, acting as a coalition in, you know, born of shared values, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, to enact change that we want to see. So um, I think the more that we can understand our shared vision, we as women, we as women of color, uh, the more powerful we are. Yes, yes. And what's your second project you're working on? Thanks for asking. That's what I was just about to jump into. So I thought it I'm, I'm just really interested in transformative storytelling. That's kind of how I've approached this new career of mine. And um, there's a friend of mine. She's super talented, uh, writer, director, has been doing it for years. She wrote a beautiful script about the life of Lily Ledbetter, who is known as a fair pay icon. The first piece of legislation that President Obama signed was actually the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. And what many don't know is the difficulty of her life story. She grew up in poverty. She um, really went through all forms of harassment uh, through her time at Goodyear, but um, because of the necessity of holding down that job, she sort of endured all of that. And, um, but she had this kind of tenacity uh, to kind of fight for, and when she realized that she was being underpaid and not being paid uh, equal to her male counterparts. She really seized hold of that and uh, actually fought for it, which I think, you know, is difficult for us to do 
not only as women, but again, as women of color, she was a white woman, but nonetheless, she had a lot of issues in terms of, you know, her financial circumstances that I think she um, has a lot to teach us. And I think audiences will be really interested to hear that story and would take inspiration from it. And that's a wonderful thing. I love the transformative aspect. Have you ever heard of the concept social silence? This, no, I yeah. haven't. Yeah, I was in a meeting that they put on with just some top media exec executives. And someone said that I was like that we experience social silence, meaning there's people who want to speak up, but we've been uh, silenced. And so how do we learn about these avenues to get our transformative stories out to get our just different strategies that women from all walks of life can really implement to know what to look for. Like I said before, you're highly observant and you're sensitive to shifts and, and, you know, and just those route changes. So how do we, what are some tips that you can give some of our people, especially our women who are listening, who could be in that position that Lily Ledbetter was in? Well, you know, one of the things that I think, may, so let's tie those two themes together, the, the first project and she could be next and the themes from Lily. Now, Lily didn't have other women whom she could look to, to kind of form her squad, if you will, or her cohort to kind of present a collective vision. But generally speaking, uh, nowadays, I think that women and again, I'm going to underscore women of color because we have some unique challenges. We can build relationships in a workplace, right? That, and, and you start them before you, you know, don't do it when you have a problem. Start out just as a way of, you know, building your base anyway. Um, if you are building community and you're building those relationships, then you can sometimes you can bring solutions to the problems or the challenges that you face as a collective. Um, and so for me, it seems really similar to the idea of organizing in the political sense, right? It's just, there's an organizer in all of us and the way we express it is going to depend on what it is that we're trying to change, right? So those are my thoughts about how people can and women can really try to implement uh, changes or or try to address what seem like inequities in the workplace. Don't do it alone is what I would say. There's the point of social contagion, right? The fact that you're affected by the people around you. So if you surround yourself by people who are doing things and know how to take action in my creative research and studying creativity, I see that a lot of people may have creative ideas, but it's that execution. That's the issue you know so looking at women who know how to execute or know how to build that team and then execute together yeah you know i was just thinking about that so sometimes you don't know how to go about executing your idea so i was thinking about this in terms of uh the documentary i thought it was a terrific idea right but i had never made a documentary before i knew how to market things i knew the business side of it uh, but I didn't really, you know, know the rest of it. So what I did is I looked around for uh, people who were, who shared the, the vision, who thought the idea was a good idea, um, who had some background. And um, so I found my two partners and they really were the ones who, you know, sort of made it happen. And, you know, you have to give up 
obviously a little bit of the credit. Um, you give up a little control, of course. Sometimes you give up a lot of control. But if your goal is to sort of activate the vision, sometimes you that makes sense for you, right? And in my case, it worked out amazingly well because there's no question that the documentary that came out, I mean, the quality of it is, I'm very proud of it. And the work that's there is actually not just my two partners, but this huge uh, group of women of color, uh, you know, all talented directors and, you know, professionals in their own right who really work together to try to bring this vision to reality. Awesome. Just the power of the collective network. I I love it. I love it. So another thing that I just love to highlight is number one, I say, you know, the arts are very important that creativity isn't just the arts, it's in every field, but you having art, what is your artistic background? And if you have one, which I believe you've, you've done some stuff and you did a documentary, so that's an art form in itself, but any of the other arts, you know, any music or theater or, or dance or visual art, because to really take a story from the written word to the screen, you know, that's called transformation in creative thinking to take an idea from one method of communication into another method of communication. How has your arts background helped you do that, have that jump and tell that story in another medium? You know, it's interesting that you say that because um, (laughs) the people that I know that really label themselves as creatives have said to me, oh, Jyothi, you're selling yourself short. You do have a lot of creative Uh, thinking and and abilities. But to be honest with you, um, maybe it's because I'm sort of an immigrant's daughter. And, you know, you come to this, he came, my father came to this country and it was like, you know, you establish your, your field and you succeed and you make money. And so I never really thought of going into the creative arts as initially, you know, it was always like, what kind of business should I be in? But if you really think about the businesses that I've been involved with, they're all have some element of creativity to it. Um, I'm a failed uh, flute player. I'm a, I did do some high school drama, but I was smart enough not to pursue that into my professional life. Um, But what I feel like, and I hope this will maybe be of inspiration to those of you out there who don't fancy yourself as a creative thinker that, you know, as you said, Janine, creativity is not just painting. It is not just making music. It's finding problems that need to be solved and then thinking of ways that haven't been thought thought of before um, to solve those problems. And, And there's a lot of ways to express your creative thinking that does not necessarily involve what is typically, you know, termed art. So that would be my answer to you is like, I guess I would say I always have thought creatively, but I, I haven't always labeled myself a creative. And that's what my work is now of getting people to say that, yeah, I, you may not be an excellent in music or something, but you are very creative. And I'm going to challenge you on your background in theater, (laughs) ma'am, and say every experience that you've had is a part of your fabric today. So theater talks about active listening, nonverbal communication, spacing, right? Your ability to communicate in multiple ways at the same time. 
I think you took some of your theater class into the boardroom, into your intercommunication or your, your intercultural communications while you're doing your paramount negotiations. I bet, and even your music failed flute player. I've never heard someone say that. <laughs> and as an educator of, um, I was the person who put the flute in the child's hand for the first time and we played like hot cross buns. I don't know if you remember that, that song. Um, every musician knows hot cross buns, right? But I tell my students when I used to teach that, you think I'm teaching you music. I'm teaching you focus, resilience, um, how to do multiple things at the same time. Cause you're reading, you're listening, you're feeling the tempo, you're feeling the emotion that you're supposed to be like, your brain is doing so many things. So none of those experiences have been wasted. You have just brought them with you in these fields that you're in now. Yeah. I love what you're saying because I think so often we want to do things that we're going to be good at. Um, Recently, someone bought me a package of, uh, you know, painting lessons, and I put it off forever. And then I find because I was like, I'm not a painter. I can I literally can't draw. I mean, I draw stick figures, you know. But one of the things when I finally decided to take advantage of that gift is I learned that first of all, painting does not have to be truly representative. Um, it can be figurative, I suppose. And the other thing I learned is to see, you know, when you're actually trying to capture something, you see the object or the scene differently. You see the shadows, you see, you know, the light, you see the details. And I thought that was so, well, first of all, I had a fantastic teacher who uh, taught me that. And um, so, yes, I agree with you. I think we can all learn from something and we don't have to necessarily be good at it, right? We just throw ourselves into it and see what it brings out of us. Yes. And because we have this preconceived idea of what good is, right? We've been told what good is, but if you just go into an experience, just wanting to have the experience and leave those pre-standards out, you know, outside the door, you'd be surprised. And I love the fact that you brought that up. A lot of people don't know some of our best scientists and some of our greatest minds have an arts background, even though their work is not in the arts. People like George Washington Carver, who did a lot, we know him as like the peanut scientist, right? Mm -hmm. The botanist, but he invented so many things. He sat on presidential boards and advised Gandhi and so many people, but he painted because it taught him how to see. Yes. And part of my work and a lot of the trainings that I do, I bring in the arts because you're looking how to see these situations in your business world, but, but you're missing so many things because you don't know how to see. So I love the fact that you brought that up. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking also that given that um, our society, uh, our culture is increasingly automated, you know, there's, a, and now there's AI. Um, I think that artistic thinking is even more important than ever because the truth is there are so many rote functions that can be performed by a machine nowadays. And so the things that make us more human and more creative really come from actually nonlinear thinking. Um, and and you have to be trained in in that kind of thinking just like, linear thinking. And so I, I, I'm with you hundred yeah. percent. 
switching gears, kind of going back to where we were with your journey through corporate world and then taking the the leap into telling these transformative stories, how difficult was it for you to walk away from your senior executive level position to stepping out and launching, you know, your own media company? Like I said before, that courage is a big issue with people in their creative journey. So what did that look like for, for you and what advice could you give people who might be thinking about it or doing it on the the side? You know, I have a lot of, um, you know, respect for people who have obligations. You know, we're not all able to sort of walk away from situations, even though we would like to, because there are people who are relying on us. And even, I mean, if I think about the pandemic, that if nothing that has brought out those obligations and those necessities more than ever, but um, sometimes we're just afraid, right? Uh, or we're comfortable. And so in my situation, I knew that I needed to challenge myself and find the next uh, you know, bend, if you will, in my career. But I was in a really nice, comfortable situation and I was making actually quite a good salary. And so that decision was, was actually a very tough one. Um, one of the things I've observed over the course of my time and just being around other people is, is um, there were a lot of people who had started their own companies or had um, become consultants or just whatever. They had started their own enterprise. And um, those that planned for it, uh, and that's a key because I did start my own company in between those two studio jobs. But in that situation, I hadn't planned for it very well. And so I felt uncomfortable. Um, I felt worried about, you know, the business I was bringing in. And so the, at the first opportunity where a consulting assignment became a job, I kind of jumped on it. The second, this next time, I actually planned for it quite a bit in advance. I, um, I thought about, I made sure that I had some financial reserve, you know, so I, I, I put, I socked away a little bit extra. Um, I also did a lot of uh, my homework while I had my job in terms of understanding the different areas that I might be interested in going into and what it would require and what might be um, the initial like financial um, outcomes and, you know, and what it would take to sort of ramp up. And so I would say there are a couple of things. So it's the courage, planning, and then of course the execution, which is to actually just do it. But I wouldn't say just do it without the other two, because you know, this is a real there's it's a real world. People have real bills. And, you know, sometimes things don't work out. So you have to kind of plan for that a little bit. And that's good to to think think about. And that's why, you know, like doing things after hours, if you're able to, we all know that people have different responsibilities and some have young kids. I know for me, I I was teaching full-time, love my job in a wonderful place that supported my creative thinking. I love the students. They were amazing, but you know, early in the morning before work, I was writing on my book at at home after work, (laughs) just knowing that I needed to get this project out and creating space for it. So let's get back to your film because this is a critical month and people are aware of women's, you know, rights, women's positions. What impact do you see it making? So I'm specifically thinking now about 
Lily, um, the, the feature film, it's, it's not my film per se. I am part of a team that is bringing Rachel Feldman's vision to reality, but we, I deeply believe, especially given the kind of recession that we've all been through this, so many women have actually borne the brunt of this pandemic and the economic downturn that sharing a story like Lily Ledbetter's story in this moment will really raise a lot of issues about women in the workplace that need to be raised, that need to be addressed, and that hopefully will cause us all to think a little bit further about equity and the importance of equity, especially um, as we're all thinking about growing the national economy, that if women were really truly uh, provided with their worth and their based on their contribution, the actual general economy would improve. You know, there's so much that I don't think um, is really fully discussed. And so I'm excited about the opportunity of a, you know, thrilling, entertaining motion picture that also causes people to go home and talk at night and to try to figure out how to make things better for themselves. Yeah. And that's going back to addressing the social silence, right? Other people yeah. have been going through this, but they've been feeling that they've been silenced and having, that's the power of transformative stories and storytelling. I love it because it makes you think and it makes you aware that, wait, I'm not the only one going through through this. To see someone else battle something that you've been battling by yourself, it just really gives you permission to hopefully speak up or at least find other people that you can speak up with. So I, I love that open door permission that your work and your team's work is allowing people to have these conversations. And as far as value, I know with women, a lot of us have a hard time dealing with value, value of ourselves, value of our work. I know, you know, I'm producing all these ideas about intercultural creativity. I'm creating all these curriculums, things that I just did for free when I was working as a full-time elementary school teacher. I would go out and speak at conferences. I'm used to doing this for free. But now that I'm on my own, I have to re-engage that concept of what is this valued? What, not what am I valued as a person? Um, Cause that's a whole other level, but what is my work valued? My keynotes valued and women have a difficult time with that. What are your thoughts on that? And what is some advice that you can give? I have a lot of thoughts on that. So, you know, it's interesting when you have this discussion with people who are in a creative field, um, that it's sometimes the feeling is it's very difficult to sort of claim your value. You, there's a lot of free work that ends up being done. And, you know, that, I don't know what, it, I think you even referenced it in your own talk about broke artist. I mean, who invented that term? I don't know, but I think it's one that we need to figure out a way to retire. Mm -hmm. In every, and I don't know which field, you know, the viewer, is going to be coming from, but there's, I guarantee you, no matter what the creative field or business field, there's somebody and there's a group of people who are making money in it. So maybe the first thing to do is to observe who are the top earners um, or who, you know, how is it working and try to understand what they're doing. Now, obviously the top earners, just like if you think about an acting career, not everyone can be you know, an A-list celebrity actor, but 
there's also the average earners. There's always people who are figuring out how to uh, be a working creative professional. And so observing and really trying to understand what are the practices, what are the behaviors, how do people ask and make sure that their worth is met. I mean, and, you know, part of that comes from also, you know, really that feeling of confidence. Um, I might say, why don't you just take a look at what perhaps a, a man is doing? You know, what are his practices? Um, because often they just seem to have an easier time of um, sort of asking for their worth. Uh, and then, you know, I think you may have to also be creative in the way that you show up in that field to allow for multiple income streams. You were just talking about all the different things that you're doing, Janine. I mean, and I assume that's out of not only your own creativity, but maybe necessity to try to find different ways to bring in revenue so that you can be comfortable. So I think all of us find ways to do that. And, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert on that, but part of the, the uh, way I approach this is with the idea that I will be paid for the work that I have done. And if I am doing something that's pro bono, then I really need to look at that as well. You know, like I just, it's about having that solid understanding rather than letting there be passive kind of expectation that make that somehow somebody will pay you someday if you just work hard enough. I think it should be really discussed up front. And, you know, um, when I think about the way we approached the documentary, um, which is a field often where people don't get paid as much as they should, um, we built our fees into the budget. We also built uh, the, the normal rates for anybody on our crew into the budget. Mm -hmm. And we worked really hard to raise the money to meet that budget. Um, and, you know, at any given point, we could have not achieved that, but that was how we approached it. And I think that is why um, we were all, we all felt good about uh, the outcome. And, you know, we probably spent a little bit more time, maybe a lot more time um, than our fees might warrant, but Overall, that was our approach, and we feel like it was a successful approach. It's a passion project as well, so you're able to give that overtime, right? I've yeah. definitely, definitely been there. So yes, the concept of value and people discussing the value of their work and knowing how to negotiate the value and showing up confidently, I think yeah. that's just a huge discussion that people are wanting you, to have. You know... You know, it's interesting you say passion project. If it's something you're really passionate about, chances are there are other people who are really passionate about that. And you're doing society or those other people a service by taking it on. And so there should be value to that. And sometimes I think it's also a way to measure whether the idea really does have value because you should be able to extract um at least a basic financial value from your endeavors. And um, if that's not the case, then you might wanna examine what you're doing and, or how you're doing it. That's what, I, so sometimes it's, it's not just the idea, but it's the way it gets executed. And so nowadays people um, do take some notion that they have 
um, a concept that they have and they, you know, they're on podcasts, they're on, you know, webinars, they are teaching, they're publishing, you know, there's, that's what I meant by multiple income streams, but it's all born out of the same, that core vision. I love that. Cause that's really what the, a chapter of my book was about when I was deep in debt and had to figure out how to pay off hundred thousand dollars worth of debt on a teacher's salary chapter eight or section eight talks about how your creative health affects your financial wealth. And I had to start to think creatively of, okay, Janine, where am I gifted? Where am I talented? Because the teacher salary scale is a fixed scale. There's no annual bonuses or things that you get in the corporate world. So I had to think outside of my box scale to see how I could bring in any extra income. And that's where the creative thinking came in. So having people think more creatively about their gifts and reflection, do you think people do a good job in women? Do you think we do a good job really reflecting upon our strength? No, probably not. I mean, there, and, and, you know, women are not a monolith either. So I'm sure there's some women who are very good at it. Um, I was just thinking, you know, uh, Oprah and her interview with um, the Royal couple has been in the news recently and, you know, Oprah got paid quite a bit of money and she's quite the entrepreneur. And so maybe we should all be thinking, what would Oprah do? I don't know. I just try that one on. Um, One thing I was just thinking though, systemically, obviously it's crazy that anybody would end up with that much debt for an education. And it's also crazy that teachers are not paid uh, what they need to be paid because they obviously need to incur uh, the cost of an education. And so there's strange systemic issues that we're as individuals, maybe not able to solve overnight. So we're just gonna have to figure out some creative way around that. But I do think you raise two issues that really bear a lot of thought for us as a society. Don't we want people to get educated and don't we want people to educate, you know? Yeah, it's very lopsided as I, you know, head into the speaker world and then I've sat next to people who go on stage for 45 minutes and get $50,000. And then I've sat with people who work, you know, their selves off and just really give everything to these students and they make $3,000 a month. So being exposed to all these different worlds and all these different levels is yeah, really opening my, my eyes to, okay, where are our values and who do we really need to support so they can do their best work as they educate the next generation? Yeah, I agree with you there. And I find that very frustrating. I mean, that might not be helpful um, in the short run, but I think we should be simultaneously working towards a better systemic outcome and then try to figure out uh, solutions for ourselves as individuals within that. Yes, yes. As we wrap up, what are some just final thoughts about your projects and you know these films as they're out there? And the cool thing about being a creative, which I believe we're all creatives. But as far as like my book and the things that I'm creating, when it's out there, it's almost like birth. When it's out there, it has a life of its own. Like, you know, like what 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 are your thoughts about that, about the life it's going to live as you move on to your next projects? Oh, I'm, I think it's great. You know, what happens is you have this vision, you, um, you make a product and, you know, that's sort of similar for people who are inventing or you know, birthing businesses. And then it, it, as you just said, it shows up in the world and then it, it's no longer yours. It, it becomes ours or theirs. 
um, because everybody who interacts with it brings themselves to it. So we've heard so many really, um, so many interesting reactions to, and she could be next, um, people who feel newly empowered to engage in, uh, you know, fighting for something that they want in their community or to join up with a group that sort of reflects their values to continue to mm -hmm. um, sort of re-engage for the change that they want to see. Um, and then we've also, you know, on another level, just understood the power of when women of color lead, you know, that's something that has occurred and that uh, people, that women feel seen when they see this uh, documentary, that they feel like it's wall-to-wall -wall filled with women of color who are not victims, who are showing up and taking charge of their lives and taking charge of their communities. And so I think that translates beyond politics. And that's what we've heard back anyway. So so you're right. It, when you put something out there, you think you're doing it for a particular reason, and then you hear that people have multiple interpretations of what that message is. And that's the fun part of creating, right? There's a concept that we have called the diversity diamond. And if you, our metaphor is the diamond. And if you look at a diamond, you know, there's different facets going on. And so we look at the intersectionality of people's identities, you know, of uh, being you know, a, a woman and, and your ethnicity and your know, mothers or just you know, different areas that we function in and different ways that we see the world. How did your film really show the intersectionality of the people who you were trying to reach? It's so interesting that you bring this up because that's the thing. It's not like any of those identities, um, you know, whether you're South Asian, I'm South Asian, I'm a mother, I'm a businesswoman, I'm a creative person, I'm a wife. Uh, these are all separate but intertwined identities. And the thing that I found particularly inspiring is that the women that we followed were all bringing their whole identities, their whole selves to the work that they were doing. and. When you do that, I think that more interesting outcomes are the result. It's when you hold back parts of yourself, uh, then you're like sort of worrying and putting energy into the parts that you have to like sort of control for the circumstance. That's no way to really, you know, fully engage in, um, in whatever action that you're taking. And that's something I'm truly, you know, I just feel like it was a lesson from I didn't know that I was going to learn that lesson, but I definitely learned it from the organizers and the candidates that we followed, especially in 2018, which was such an interesting year. If you think about all the people who ran for office, there are a lot of people who ran for office. If you think about their backgrounds, they, that was not the typical uh, background of somebody who was seeking elected um, office. And we are going to be better off as a country for having those people put their hand up and then eventually succeed because otherwise we just have homogenous thinking, right? And homogenous problem solving. I'm talking about now our political system that, but that applies to, I can't think of any, any area that that does not apply to where diversity does not create a stronger outcome because you're melding all these different viewpoints and allowing people to really bring their whole selves their multiple identities to it is, is I think 
well, I can't think of anything more important, really. That's such a great point because we, there's actually a quote, a quote that I love of saying it takes energy not being yourself. That is taking away from the energy of you being creative and innovative. So I am the diamond girl. I love diamonds. That's our logo. And I asked all of my guests to leave us with a gem that you wanted to inspire us with. And for you, ma'am, what would that gem be? You know, I was thinking that I might actually leave you with somebody else's gem just because I we were just talking about it. Um, there's a quote uh, from Janelle Monet is known for rapping, but she raps at the end of this song, Queen with Erica Badu. And um, she says, she who writes the film owns the script and the sequel. And I thought that was like a good way for us to close out. I love it. And I love that song. And I love the reminder that you do have the choice to write your own story. And so be proactive with that from the number one storyteller, this side of the pond, Miss Jothi Sarda. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. We're so excited to get this story out, to get the links out. If there is any particular place that you want people to go to find you and your work, where would that be? Well, uh, you can find all the projects that I'm working on at nimblemediallc.com. And so, yeah, that would be a great way to stay in touch. I'm obviously on LinkedIn and all the socials. Um, And Janine, I just wanted to also say I appreciate you and all the positive messages that you're also putting out there for women like yourself. Well, thank you. We always have to work together to empower everyone. You know, I just shared a picture of my son holding a book called Abby the Inventor. I have a a boy, but it's still my important job to show him women in powerful positions doing powerful things. So it's normal to him to see a CEO as a woman. It's not like, oh, what is she doing there? You know, that's that's normal. It's normal to him to see his mom on, on the stage speaking. These are normal images. And I think we need to make it clear to our young boys and our young women that we all, there's space for all of us to share our voice, to lead and to empower our generation and the next generation. 100%. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you audience for joining us for this riveting talk. Go check out her links. Please support the video. Go watch it. Go share it. This is the month where I believe it is free. So go stream it. And don't forget that you could be next. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Create and Grow Rich podcast where your creative health supports your financial wealth. If you'd like to contact Janine or ask her a question, email her at podcast at creativewealthacademy.net. That's podcast at creativewealthacademy.net. Thanks again for joining us again today. And don't forget to live a courageous and creative life.